I was in a music store in Homewood, perusing a piano teacher who tickled my ivories, and I hear Leo Kotke's last steam engine train wafting from the next room perfectly. I peek around the corner. It's young John Lawler, who was maybe 15. My interest was certainly piqued, as I had known Leo since I was nine and had seen him naked, not as much as my older sister. But hey, John and I struck up an immediate friendship and both of us ended up in the net house for different reasons. John Lawler is a truly great player and you are about to hear his original composition, Net House. Enjoy. Surprise. 
lovely out in the woods tonight. You better go in disguise. Cause all the bears that ever there was will gather there for certain because tonight, the night that 61 homers. Ernie never hit 61 homers in a season. Ernie never played for the Yankees. Roger Maris did. Roger Maris saw Yogi Berra naked and probably looked through one of the mixed playboys. Ernie never even hit a home run in the Little League. Oh, he almost hit the fence once and did hit a triple, but only because the opposing team had gotten hold of a new playboy and were busy perusing the centerfold while Ernie ran the bases. Life was a big game of chance. Ernie was just a minor league player with major league aspirations. Ernie was a pretty good ball player until he got run over by Cleet Boyer's cleats, marked him for life like a dog marks a tree. Ernie's best sport was basketball, but he was barely five feet tall when he was 12 years old. Ernie was a dreamer, but the closest he ever came to dunking was with glazed donuts. In one dream, Ernie had hit for the cycle, got to first base once when the pitcher hit him in the head because he had stolen the bag of Cheetos at a sleepover and hid in the bathroom and munched away. Ernie claimed it wasn't true. A squirrel must have done it. A flying squirrel named Rocky was the culprit, which almost flew with his friend until his friend's mother pointed out Ernie's hands were stained bright orange for 30 years. Ernie had almost gotten to second base, but the young lassie got annoyed when her first bra got Cheeto stains all over it when he struggled with the damn hook. She then proceeded to wear a snowsuit, even at the local swimming hole in 95 degree July heat, whenever Ernie showed up at the gene pool. Ernie had again almost scored a double, but the gal decided to give it up to Mr. Plum in the library because young Ernie hadn't a clue how to unbutton her sailor pants and started flapping on the beach like a grounded seal. A triple was beyond all hope as Ernie got older due to the fact Ernie thought a triple had everything to do with drinking and nothing to do with a game. He did think he hit a home run once, but his wife scornfully said he was eating pizza and wasn't remotely close to having sex, and the movie American Pie hadn't been made yet. Ah, life's metaphors perplexed Ernie constantly. He thought a mouse was something you catch, and every woman he asked out on a date lived in Silicon Valley and had Mr. Wilson as a next-door neighbor. Roger Maris had indeed had one good season. Ernie's life was spent rereading Crime and Punishment over and over, along with Rimbo's Season in Hell, while waiting in line to purchase Cheetos at the supermarket. The only thing in Ernie's life he was positive about was Hamlet wasn't mad, just fucking crazy. Roger Maris might have hit 61 homers in one season, but Ernie was just seven days shy of turning 61 years old, and even at that, the odds in Vegas weren't looking too good. Ernie's wife asked him where he wanted to have his birthday dinner. Ernie said, anywhere, just not at a Denny's. The decor was orange and might upset his serenity. The Yankees were indeed playing on Ernie's 61st birthday, but so were the Cubs. Okay, I'm getting a little bent. I'm getting in the flavor. 
here. <laughs> we have been way too fucking serious <laughs> about serious things like indifference to our reality. <laughs> Ernie goes to work. Ernie was smart. The summer after high school graduation, he went to work for his older sister's boyfriend and began to learn the art of carpet laying. Now the boyfriend was an unusual fellow. He believed that carpet laying was a religious experience. Carpet layers were artists, and endless yards of cheap orange shag carpet was their canvas. Every apartment on the south side was carpeted in orange. Ernie was blue. On the way to the first job, the boyfriend told him, misty-eyed, that he was the captain, and Ernie was a sailor, and the carpet was their Moby Dick. Call me Ishmael. We will lay the carpet anywhere we are called, and we will like it. Ernie nodded. He needed beer and cigarette money. It was good work. He would lay the carpet, then the babes. Ernie started to cheer up. Once on hollowed ground, the boyfriend introduced Ernie to his first weapon, the hammer. Ernie was somewhat familiar with this implement. On his ninth Christmas on this planet, Ernie's grandmother had given each of the children a Timex watch. She told them reverently that the watches were waterproof and shockproof. Ernie had to know. That very night he took his Timex swimming with his rubber ducky in the bathtub. He got out of the tub, dried himself off, went to the junk drawer, got out the hammer. He smashed the watch and was surprised it stopped ticking. He was forever wary of false advertising. The third day of the job, the boyfriend asked Ernie to retrieve his tape measure from one of the bedrooms. Ernie located the tape measure, which was left open like an uncoiled, deadly snake. Ernie picked up the tape measure and flicked his wrist, just like he had seen the boyfriend do countless times. Nothing happened. The tape was wildly around the room. Ernie flicked his wrist again. Same result. He was gaining respect for the boyfriend's skill by the moment. After 10 minutes, the boyfriend came into the bedroom and screamed, What are you doing? Ernie replied, he couldn't get the damn tape measure to retract. The boyfriend grabbed the tape measure and pushed the yellow button. The tape magically disappeared into its casing. He shook his head and told Ernie to get coffee for the crew. Ernie walked to the corner, thinking perhaps he'd get a college education. At the break, he ate an apple and an orange and drifted. Hot dogs? Yeah, Hot two dogs. dogs. Right. And we're, yeah. I thought it was kind of cute. Okay, not I'm ready. to have ketchup in Chicago. I know that. That's what why the point was funny. That's not why it was funny. But it's almost overused. Joke. 
words, words with deep meaning. You sound really good. Well, thank you. Huh. I have a book. History abides with tales of bedlam, imagination, real, profound, and stupid, but on the inside of the joke. If you like to be on the inside of Ernie's wallet, please purchase the Ernie Bedlam stories via PayPal for $21.50, including shipping. I will be glad to send you. I will be glad to send one to your friends. I would be glad to send to many of your friends. I will just be glad. Here, now just read this. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I have a book. Send me $21.50. This cost includes shipping. Go to ErnieBedlamStories.com. Click on the PayPal link. Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Ernie was getting older. Ernie was alone. He didn't do cat litter, so no cat. He didn't walk too well, so no dog. He didn't cook, so no food. His dick didn't work, so no prostate exercise. He didn't swim too well, so no ducks. He didn't drink, so no fun. He did smoke in the shower, so no long-term vacation plans. He did read while on the throne, so box scores were abundant and hemorrhoids were a growing concern. He no longer had health insurance, and mental health had always proved troublesome. Ernie decided he needed a companion, so he went and got one of those talking birds. Problems did occur. The bird learned one phrase very well. We're fucked. Ernie named it bird that tells the future. They talked the same language. Ernie had taken to humming birds of a feather stick together around the apartment on a loop. He got pissed off at his new companion and taught the bird context. Ernie would come home and the talking bird would now just say, fuck you. Ernie was pleased. The bird proved to be trainable. Cats just didn't give a shit, and the ducks just swam in another pond altogether. Thank you for listening to Ernie Bedlam Bedtime Stories. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit subscribe. Ernie Bedlam Stories are conceived, written, and narrated by Craig Champlin. I just follow directions. I try. I try. I try. I try.
Thanks to our musical contributors, Vernon Tonges. The way things are with everybody playing music, it's driving the value down, down. And also to John Lawler for permission to include the selections Nuthouse and Smackers from his album 1743, available on iTunes. John Lawler is a truly great player. What are you doing? I'm trying to find what page it's Oh, I'm sorry, it's the... I have a book. Ernie Bedlam Stories are now available in print. Go to erniebedlamstories.com, click on the PayPal link for more information on how you can order your very own copy. (laughs) I have a book. Okay, I'm still not seeing it, but... Okay, it's the second paragraph. Ernie Bedlam Bedtime Stories is a production of Mighty Small Studios, Chicago, Illinois. Dorothy Conway, producer. You, you're going to use this shit? Well, but there might be something oh, in here. I, I like how you think, Dorothy.